Welcome to another episode of Thrive. We've got a, a very special episode here today because we're talking about managing creative teams with none other than Carl Sakis. Uh, Carl, thanks so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Kelly, great to be here. So Carl is um, a lot of things, but Carl is an agency leader for sure, um, an author, a speaker, a consultant to creative teams across the globe. Um, they, I think the teams lovingly refer to you as their agency therapist or the Dr. Mm -hmm. Phil of their agencies, right? So that's great. Um, and, and just from a personal standpoint, I feel like, you know, my, my own values and the holistic approach that I take with clients is very much aligned with yours. Um, so I really enjoy the fact that we're kind of developing this relationship and um, just really great to, to talk to you today. Yeah, uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, so let's dive in. Um, you actually wrote this amazing book that you sent me. Um, it's a little pocket book called Made to Lead, a pocket guide to managing marketing and creative teams. And, you know, in the book, and, and I've known this uh, as well, how you got your start, you kind of received like a, a 360 degree review from your peers. And yes. that sort of led to the creation of the book. So can you share a little bit about that experience? Yeah, I, I learned from the 360 reviews, uh, maybe to summarize, I was good at getting things done, good at getting results, but not at making it fun for everyone I was working with. So it was just results, 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 and not thinking about morale. And that was uh, definitely a reality check for me. And I realized, okay, I'd gotten to a certain point. I couldn't go from there if I didn't change how I worked. And I've shifted that since then. Yeah, I, greatly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so also you talk a little bit about um, the leaders eat last mentality, which, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously Simon Sinek has kind of popularized that with his own book. Um, but I feel like there are people that just inherently know that for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And then there are people that have to be taught that. Um, yeah. So can you talk a little bit about this, the difference between um, a leader or a manager, which I know you use mm -hmm. synonymously at an agency where they really see their their teams in sort of this hero role and then they see mm -hmm. themselves in this helper role and why that right. can be difficult for some people to really wrap their heads around. Well, people tend to think a lot about themselves, not that they're necessarily narcissists, although some people are, of course. Uh, but, you know, it's easy to focus on yourself. But when you do that, you're not focused on your team. You're not focusing on their potential, helping them contribute what they can. And I got the leaders eat last message from my dad 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I was at an event where one of the, uh, who's involved in Boy Scouts, where one of the scout leaders ran to the head of the buffet line and was you know, pushing people out of the way. And his comment from his experience going to West Point, 20 years in the army, you always make sure that the people that report to you are taken care of first before you eat, hence right. what Simon Sinek has now turned into the leaders eat last concept. Right, right. But, but that, but that's been in the military for decades. Yeah, and it's interesting because the the analogy that I have or how that resonates with me is that I saw my grandmother, who was sort of the mm -hmm. matriarch of the family, making sure that, you know, she mm -hmm. cooked a meal for us at holidays. She made sure yeah. everybody had their place settings and everyone had at least one, one serving before she even thought about mm -hmm. sitting down. And yeah. sort of that's what I meant earlier by, you know, it's inherent in the fact that some people just see that growing up and they sort of internalize right. it and realize, oh, she's the leader of the family. This is what she does. She makes sure everyone's okay first, and then she'll yeah. kind of go for herself. Um, I mean, a way to think about it is if, you know, as you're running your agency, think back when you 
had a boss, you know, when you were an employee, think about your best bosses. Those were probably bosses that were focused on you, helping you reach your potential rather than only focused on themselves. Right, right. Um, one of the things that I also uh, really resonated with in the book was this whole idea of stop expecting your team to read your mind. So yeah. I really want to kind of dive into this because I personally see it all the time with agency leaders um, getting frustrated by the fact that their employees are not meeting their own expectations. But then right. when you ask, have you communicated those expectations to them? It's like, oh, no. <laughs> so yeah. um, just just love to talk a little bit about that. It's easy to be in something of an echo chamber. You know, if you're working with your executive or management team, you've probably been talking about things for weeks or months, and you've talked through all the angles and you've reached a decision, but the rest of your team has no idea. They haven't been through that process. Mm -hmm. So really it's thinking about from a change management perspective when you're implementing big changes, but it applies even on a day-to-day -day basis. And I have a framework that I use that I call values, goals, and resources, VGRs. That is, if your team knows the values to follow, that is what's important as they're, as they're working, what they should and shouldn't do. If they know the goals, both for the agency and for their, the work they're doing, and the resources in terms of finances, in terms of time, people, so on. If they know the VGRs, they can make decisions without you. In that case, it's almost like they're reading your mind, but you certainly shouldn't assume. Right, right. And so I like to also say it um, maybe a, a slightly different way, but it's the same concept. Yeah. Kind of um, this whole idea of frameworks over formulas, right? So giving people mm -hmm. that, ex that expandability or whatever you want to call it, um, yeah. where the leadership team and the management kind of communicates, they put together a framework and goals, they communicate that from the, the, from the top down, but then the solutions are really coming from the bottom up. And I think it's that dichotomy and that... Um, that balance, that intersection, that's, I think that's where all the magic happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about communication issues at agencies. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think we could probably have one whole entire show dedicated to this. Yes, uh, uh, maybe a whole series. A so. whole series, yeah. Um, so for me, it's definitely the number one um, issue at any agency. And I feel like it comes from a lot of different places, uh, maybe mm -hmm. account people and project managers sort of over promising to clients without talking yeah. to the, the creative team or the production team. Um, a lot gets lost in translation when we have things like, you know, Slack and email and project management systems and all of that. So um, right. not that we're going to fix communication issues in, in one uh, dialogue here, but just maybe talk a little bit about some of the experiences that you've seen with agencies and how maybe they've overcome some of those communication issues. Yeah. Well, here's something not to do. I uh, learned that a client would do what, what his team called desk side briefings. Hmm. He would close a new client. He would come out of his office and he'd grab a random person and say, here's what you need to know about this new, new project. Right. The person wasn't even necessarily one who'd be leading it, but he just dumped the information out to them and then he would walk away having forgotten everything he just said, totally cleared it out of his head. And now the hapless employee was expected to turn it into reality. Obviously, a lot of challenges with that. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the biggest things I see is is a difficult handoff between the sales process and the project management process. Mm -hmm. One of the easiest ways to fix that is to have your project manager at the last sales meeting. So the last conversation you have, you know, you've done a proposal, 
the client's likely to move forward. So it's not a billable meeting, but it's you know pretty likely to lead to a billable engagement. Right. Have the PM there so they're not meeting the client. The client's not meeting them for the first time at the kickoff meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the biggest challenges I see in communications are around those transition points. Right. You know, data, you can have a lot of day-to-day issues, but that handoff that handoff is often where people drop the baton. Right. So if you can add more of a formal process to that, you know, it doesn't have to be incredibly complicated, but recognize there's a big risk at that point. Don't just treat it like another day at the office. Right. And it's also helpful for the, the client communications as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then what about that, that choice that we all kind of have uh, day-to-day in the agency where we're trying to figure out what's the best method of communication. Is it an in-person? Is yeah. it a phone call? Is it an email? Um, what are some some best practices that you like to advise about? Might continue on that is that if you're having a difficult or potentially contentious conversation, lean more toward doing that verbally, whether it's in person or via video or via phone. And the idea there, whether that's an internal conversation or client conversation, if you've got some difficult news to deliver, or if you need a decision and you're not sure exactly how it's going to go, by doing it in real time, you know that would be a synchronous conversation. By doing it in real time, you're able to adjust for the nuances. You're able to adjust based on what they say in response to what you said. On the other hand, if it's something that's not contentious, if it's more of a status update kind of thing, I would shift more toward asynchronous. So depending on your setup, that could be sharing it in Slack, it could be sharing something in your project management system. It could be sending an email. Uh, of course, the challenge is if you're emailing everything, you get uh, email blindness and people start ignoring things. Um, so if it's less critical, less timely, you know, in that case, something asynchronous like email or post an update or what have you can work. Right. A key way to make life easier is to have an internal, think of it as a service level agreement, SLA, on how fast people should respond in certain formats. For instance, if someone texts you, is that an urgent response thing or can it wait a few hours? Are you setting the expectations that emails are instant response? That's probably not a good idea, but if you can come to an agreement as to what the responsiveness should be, it makes life easier for everyone, certainly less stressful. Right. And then also, um, I think what's uh, sort of like um, an obvious sort of follow-up question to that, Mm -hmm. follow-up comment um, or discussion is, I mean, I remember working with a couple of different PR firms and for whatever reason, PR firms, just in my experience, this could be different with your experience, but in my experience, they, they don't really embrace project management systems the same way that mm. a web development organization would, right? So right. what they tend to do is they love email distribution groups, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got, you know, let's say six people working on an account and every email has everybody copied um, yeah. or part of this distribution group, even if they're not necessarily um, needing to take any action based on this piece of communication. I've always right. felt like that was the, if I could design the, the least effective way to communicate, that would be it. Yeah. And, and I don't know why PR firms in, in general, um, have you seen something like that? You, you have the same I, I have. And, and that, that's something unusual about PR oriented agencies. Yeah which is that they tend to merge what I look at as the three client-facing roles, account management, project management, and subject matter experts. Mm. So you've got the same person, and they'll often have an account executive, account manager type title, 
They're doing client service, the account management piece, keep clients happy. They're doing project management, the internal coordination with their team to get it done. And they're often the subject matter expert in giving PR advice and being an expert in the client's industry, sorting out strategy and all. And so when you have one person doing all of those roles, they're, they're going to tend to be better at one rather than the other. You know, it's, it's hard to, even if you're a great project manager, it's hard to project manage yourself. <laughs> and so if you've got one person doing all of that, and so I, I think to some extent, the let's CC everyone on everything is that everyone has all of these different roles and it's not always clear who needs to know what at what time. Right. So let's just tell everyone about everything in the idea that that will somehow fix it, which right. it doesn't. Right, right. So in a situation like that, um, I'm curious, would you recommend um, sort of a, a process for the email communications and then probably putting in place a project management system? So there is sort of that, that pull apart between the two? Definitely better to have a PM system where you can choose who's getting updates on what, but everyone has access. Right. So if they miss something, they can search there first rather than saying, hey, what happened on that? Um, and, you know, for instance, my PR firm uses Basecamp as a PM system. Mm -hmm. So everyone knows what's going on. Uh, and there is a distribution list, but that's more of like if I'm emailing someone externally, I'm able to copy that and they're able to get the update right. because, you know, I'm not adding an external person to the Basecamp thread. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So let's shift a little bit and talk about yeah. um, staffing and employees and sort of the, the future of what we might see as um, the agency model. Um, I know in the book you talked a little bit about, you know, the fact that if you're a FaceTime boss, which I love that term, um, sort of yeah. embrace it, but also accept the fact that you are going to attract and retain lower quality employees. And I thought it was a really bold statement, but there's so much truth to it. So I just wanted yeah. to sort of um, wind down the conversation talking a little bit about staffing and, and you know, that, that aspect of on-site virtu versus virtual. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, for sure, uh, people have different preferences versus agencies being in an office versus remote. If you're in a large metro area, you can, you know, build a, a good team of everyone in the same office. On the other hand, if you want to find the best people available who may not be choosing to live in your city or in your metro area, that's where virtual comes in. I, I will say it is a lot harder to be a boss or a manager or a leader at a virtual agency than an in-person one. Because if you're all in person, communications can come down to turning and telling someone to do something. Right. Uh, you know, that doesn't scale beyond a certain point, but uh, you don't have to be as good at communicating. You don't have to be as good as setting expectations when everyone's in one room or one, one space. Uh, so if you're willing to accept the challenge of communicating better and upping your skills as a manager, running a more virtual agency does let you get the best people, but it's harder. You know, there are a lot of benefits to being in one room. Yeah. Um, do you have sort of a, not a decision tree, I won't even go that far, mm -hmm. but, but something to say, you know, certainly from uh, an, an elasticity standpoint, um, maybe mm -hmm. these are employees that are virtual and not necessarily full time. Um, you know, just the, the elasticity of the staffing or of the employees um, in general, I think, you know, that can really sort of impact profitability as well. Um, yes. You know, if they're not on site, they're using their own computers, you know what I mean? Like, there's so many different things that I feel um, 
certainly the the direction that agencies are moving in is having a smaller staff on site and then sort of creating that elastic team uh, with some virtual employees. I, I see that with many of my clients, certainly not all of them. Right. You know, these are agencies anywhere up to about 100 people or so. So, you know, it's different when you have 50 employees versus 10 employees, yep. for sure. But certainly anything you can do to make the agency more flexible helps, you know, uh, whether that's shifting toward more of a pod-based team structure uh, or having a team that's, that's spread out. So you have the challenge of potentially different time zones, but that's also a benefit, too. Right. I have a client that worked with one of their employees for several years uh, based in New England, and they, they said, you know what, they wanted to move to Australia. Uh, well, you know, on one hand, that makes it harder to do meetings in terms of, you know, the window there. Right. On the other hand, they can assign her stuff. She works on it during the day, her time. It's overnight in the U.S. and and it's done right. in the morning. Right. So the, basically, you're saying there are pros and cons to everything. You just kind of have to, um, yes. you know, see see what works for your agency and see, you know, where you want to go with that. Yes, and, and keeping in mind that there are a lot of things you can do to make things easier, where it's using different frameworks, different shortcuts. You know, managing, managing an agency is never going to be easy, but it doesn't have to be so hard. Well, I think this audience in particular would agree with that 110%. So, um, Carl, thank you so much. I just wanted to mention that um, Made to Lead is available on um, Amazon, right? It's in yep. paperback and on Kindle. And you also have something that you extend that into uh, 30 days worth of emails. Can you just touch upon that? Yes, yeah. So, you know, the, the book is helpful. People say they'll read it in 20 or 30 minutes. Yeah. But you still need to have a, I, from my perspective, a daily reminder. Mm -hmm. And so I created a free email series, uh, 30daymanager.com. You can sign up and get an email every workday for a month, reminding you about different tips so that you, know, you get it first thing in the morning. Uh, and you can look for ways to apply it that day. You know, we, we're all getting better as managers every day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, definitely sign up for that. I will put that in the show notes. And um, thank you so much. This is just such a great conversation and uh, love to keep it going. Sounds good. Thanks, Kelly.